Welcome to the Search for Truth podcast, where we take a look at the Word of God and its authentic application to our lives. I'm Pastor Young, and in our daily Bible studies, we will ask the question, what is truth? Where do I fit in the story? And what is God saying to the church? So grab a Bible and enjoy. Word up! and welcome to another episode of the Search for Truth podcast. I'm Pastor Young. Um, before we get really kicked off and started today, uh, I want to send out a special thank you to all of my new listeners. Uh, you know what? A thank you to my old listeners, my in-between listeners. Uh, I just want to thank everybody. Um, it's it's pretty exciting right now, actually. If you're listening to this, um, uh, whenever I first began this podcast, uh, it was a little discouraging here and there. Uh, whenever I would check on, you know, the amount of plays that I was getting and all of that stuff, there, it, it's it's tough because we work hard on these, and whenever you see that, you know, you've you've only got four plays or whatever, and it, it could get kind of discouraging. Um, but I am I am. Uh, happy to announce that uh, we are on our way. We are growing uh, by leaps and bounds, and um, just this week, we are nearing uh, the 900 listener mark. Um, We've crossed well over 800. We're moving moving, uh, towards 900 listeners now, and uh, my goal that I'm I'm praying and, and asking the Lord to help us uh, I'd really like to see us get to a thousand listeners on this podcast. And so, um, you know, let me just shamelessly ask you, please, hey, share this podcast with somebody that you know, somebody that you don't know, a friend, an enemy, whatever, whoever, share this podcast uh, with somebody and uh, help spread the word. Um, before we get kicked off and, and really diving into part two, uh, of the God of the Old Testament. Um, I also want to give a shout out to the Steadfast Devotion podcast with Trey Cornwell and John Calvin Chance. Be sure to give them a listen. The Uplift podcast with Brother uh, Nathan Beeler. Uh, I'm going to be going on uh, his podcast not very long from now, I think in two weeks, and uh, I'm looking forward to being with him. Uh, I, one, more, one more little piece of business before we get into the Word. Um, I, I have something really, really exciting to announce, and um, I'm just I'm really, really pumped about this. Uh, I'm, I'm, we're going to be adding uh, another segment uh, to this podcast, the Search for Truth podcast, every week, and uh, we're going to be releasing two episodes per week instead of just one. And uh, this episode that is going to begin to premiere. Uh, likely it will air on Fridays uh, so that we have a little bit of space between Tuesday night or Wednesday morning, whenever you get it, and uh, Friday. But uh, we're going to call this uh, this new segment that we're going to put out, still under the Search for Truth umbrella, but we're going to uh, entitle this uh, new group of episodes that are going to air on Fridays. We're going to call this Conquer the Day. And uh, 
for those of you that 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 uh, like listening to me, you're going to love listening to the speaker that is going to be uh, teaching every Friday. And believe it or not, it is none other than the sweetness herself. My wife, Sister Katie Young, is uh, going to join me in my podcasting ministry, and uh, she's going to start doing uh, a short. Uh, this will be a shorter lessons, shorter devotional style uh, lessons once a week that are going to be called Conquer the Day. And uh, I'm really, really excited about that. We're going to roll that out within the next couple weeks and get it going. And uh, you'll probably like her more than you like me. She's a lot nicer than I am. So for those that listen to my uh, podcast and you're like, oh, man, you just beat us up all the time. You just uh, uh. Well, that's, that's where the sweetness will come in, and she'll kind of heal all the wounds and all of that stuff that I tear up all week. So uh, anyways, be sure to reach out to us on social media. Uh, we have an Instagram account now, and I'm trying to do more Facebook activity and YouTube and all of that stuff. We're, we're laboring right now. We're trying to get... Uh, this, is, this is not to build uh, a name for anybody. I don't hardly even share my name other than right at the beginning of the podcast. Um, my, my reputation is, has nothing to do with this podcast. Um, we are, we are just literally just trying to get our doctrine as far and as wide as we possibly can. Because that's what this season is all about. The doctrine uh, of truth, the, the true doctrine that comes from Scripture, not from tradition. And so, uh, this is a great segue into our lesson for the day. We're going to uh, check out part two of the God of the Old Testament. The question that we have been asking is, is the God of the New Testament the same as the God of the Old Testament? Now, this would come across as a very, very simple question, a very simple answer maybe. You know, most most folks, they would they would hear something like that and they would almost be insulted. Well, 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 of course, yes, of course. Well, there's a difference between saying yes, he's the same God of the New and the Old Testament versus in the, in the practicality of what is taught and what is preached and how we live. Uh, there must be evidence and there must be, uh, there must be boldness in us declaring uh, far and wide that Jesus of the New Testament is that same God uh, that is all through the Old Testament. I did not say that Jesus is, uh, is a separate entity or that Jesus is, uh, that Jesus is a separate uh, being or that Jesus is a separate uh, uh, you know, identity. I'm, what I'm saying is that Jesus is the embodiment of the God of the Old Testament, not exclusively a separate, uh, a separate character like many want him to be when they refer to him as the Son of God. Yes, Jesus in the New Testament refers to himself as the Son of God. We know one of the most famous and most quoted scriptures in the entire Bible is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's one of the most quoted, one of the most memorized scriptures in all the Bible, and it is a wonderful scripture. We never want to detract from any scriptures in the Bible. We never want to, you know, we're, we're not going to win any battles by, 
you know, attacking a scripture that another doctrine uses to defend itself. That's, you're going to lose if you attack any scripture. What we have got to understand is that, is that the Son of God, as Jesus refers to himself as the Son of God, as scripture refers to Jesus as the Son of God, this is nothing more than, than a different way of saying the embodiment of God, the body of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten body. Now, I know this might seem to be a bold claim right up at the front, you know. Oh, there's a difference between son and body. Well, to us there might be. But whenever you begin to consider the fact that, as we covered in the last episode, whenever God introduced himself to Moses and we see the interaction that God has with Abraham, the Lord... Uh, uh, introduces himself as many would many would identify this speaking as the father right the 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 father is is the ones that the father is the is the identity that many attribute to God throughout the Old Testament the father is the one that we that the, I'm not going to say we the father is the one that is often accredited with creation you know the father uh, the father is the one that often is is credited with bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt, and you know, and and it's like the son doesn't there, you know, who knows who knows from from that perspective what in the world the son and what in the world the Holy Ghost is doing all during the ninety nine percent of the Old Testament. Who knows what those folks say the the son and the spirit or the Holy Ghost are doing. I guess they're just watching what's happening. But uh, for most people, they would credit, uh, n you know, 99% of what happens in the Old Testament referring to God as that was the Father doing it. Well, what I am here to teach you is, yes, it was the Father that was doing that. That is correct. Uh, where we will become uh, errored is whenever we start saying that it was some different God that was working in the New Testament, saying that the Father is separate or different than Jesus, uh, although he refers to himself as the Son. Now, how could somebody possibly, how could, see, this is, let, let me just tag this real quick. Where so many people uh, begin to mess up their doctrine, when so, where so many people get it twisted, is whenever you try to put God, to force God into your definition, whenever you try to force God into your mold, that you see that that's no different than idolatry. That's no different than uh, than than what God was so tired of uh, of the Israelites doing time after time that they would they would uh, by their mouths they would profess that they believed in only one God. Yet if you checked their tents and if you checked their the back rooms and if you checked their closets and if you checked their their private uh, you know collections, you would find that that the Israelites would add to their perception and their profession of God, idols. And this is why the Lord took such great uh, issue with this in the book of Ezekiel, in the book of Jeremiah. You know, the Lord said to Ezekiel, He said, I'm, I'm going to expose uh, some people in Israel that they claim to be serving the one true living God, uh, but within hidden within their tents, hidden within uh, the, the dark places, they're hiding their idols. And uh, 
that that's what's happening in Christianity today. Uh, the idolatry is simply trying to condense God. Listen to this: condense God into somebody or something that is manageable by human hands. That is idolatry. We think that idolatry is simply, uh, you know, something as simple as carving a face into a piece of wood and then bowing before it. Well, listen, that that is one vague and extreme version of idolatry. If you want to get to the spirit of idolatry, if you ever wonder why Samuel, you know, starts to talk about idolatry whenever, and he links it with rebellion, and he links it with witchcraft, and he links, you know, we're like, how do these things belong together? I'm, if you're wondering, I'm, I'm referring to whenever Samuel rebukes Saul in the book of 1 Samuel, and uh, he says obedience is sacrifice, or obedience is greater than sacrifice, and and uh, you know to hearken, to listen to the Lord is better than the fat of rams, and he says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, right? And then he and then he throws idolatry in there too, and he's, I'm like, why is all of this grouped together? But it is simply that that's exactly it, that it, it will start in a root of rebellion to say, I can make the definition of God myself, or I can, uh, I can define God, I can put God in my terms, rather than letting the scripture or God speak for himself. Uh, I'm going to condense God down into something that is manageable. Uh, I'm, I'm going to put God in, uh, within these particular terms. And that, my friends, is the great fault of those who begin to say, well, God could only be the Father or the Son. Why? Because I could only be the Father or the Son. You've got to get an understanding that he says in the book of Isaiah, my ways are far above your ways. My thoughts are above your thoughts. Um, there, I, I was listening to a great man of God uh, preach a lesson. I, he's he's become one of my favorite speakers. And uh, you know, if you're if you're one of the folks that that you will only listen to folks that are, uh, you know, in your denomination, then kudos to you. That that's fine, and and I understand that. But um, I've really I've really received some some wonderful edification and some some really great instruction. Although I won't receive doctrine uh, outside, but I will. I, I, I think that I think that there's some folks out there that uh, that that uh, God has dealt with them in in some powerful ways that I can glean something from them without receiving their doctrine. There's a guy out there whose name is Francis Chan, and man, this dude is awesome. I I love the books that he's written. Uh, he's got one entitled Letters to the Church. If you're a reader, you need to look that up. Letters to the Church by Francis Chan. You need to put that on your Amazon wish list, put it in your basket, check out, get back to the podcast. But it's serious. I'm telling you, this is good stuff. Well, Francis Chan was preaching in this conference, um, and uh, the title of the message, I think, is something like The Two Most Dangerous Lies. And uh, what he was teaching... Um, is very similar to what I'm what I'm kind of kicking our podcast off here. He said the the greatest lie, the most destructive lie that Christianity has bought into is that my opinion about God really matters. Let that sink in. It's a dangerous lie that the enemy has told the people of God to say that my perception of God matters. Now, I don't want to make you 
bruised up. I don't want to make you feel like you're unimportant. You're the apple of his eye. You, he knows how many hairs on your head. Uh, they're numbered and God's not forgotten about you nor the sparrows. You are important to God. So I don't, I'm not saying that you don't matter. I'm saying that your perceptions of God do not matter. I'm saying that what you perceive God to be, uh, how you try to, how you might try to, and, and I should say we, how we try to confine God to human only characteristics, human only uh, identity, uh, you know, and, and make him one dimensional like we are, that does not change who God is. I can have the perception of many things. And, it, and my perception will not be reality to everyone else. It will only be reality to me. Now, I'm, 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 I'm headed in a direction here. And I, and I don't know if you picked up on where we're going or not, but we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 9 real quick. We're looking at the God of the Old Testament. And, uh, and, and, and so my, I'm teaching this to try to build this foundation. We're going to build this foundation wide. We're going to build it deep. Uh, we're, we're, we're going to, because we got to lay a lot on this foundation. And the foundation of true doctrine is the oneness of God. It is, it is that He shares His glory with nobody else. Now, if all of these things remain consistent, then, then we've got to rectify how could God be the Father and the Son at the same time? Well, I would, I would pause and ask you, how could he be the lion and the lamb? It's interesting how we'll have arguments over whether he could be the father and the son, but nobody seems to wonder whether he could be the lion and the lamb at the same time. It's funny how people don't seem to argue about Satan's identity. Isn't that funny that I never get a debate uh, into a debate with anybody uh, over whether Satan can be the father of all lies and the son of perdition. I've never had somebody say, well, if he's the father of all lies and he's the son of perdition, there must be two Satans. I've never, I've never encountered that. The, the, the spirit of the Antichrist. He, look, right there, right there, three different instances in Scripture, we have Satan who is described in three different ways. The father of lies, the son of perdition, and the spirit of Antichrist. And yet, and yet, never once has anybody proposed that there are three Satans. So why is it that God has to be confined, but we will let the devil be whatever he wants to be? My Lord, I'm teaching right now. I hope you're turning this up. I hope you're sharing this with somebody. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 9. Because again, it doesn't matter if tradition speaks. What matters is if scripture speaks. Tradition has defined God incorrectly for hundreds and hundreds of years, but Scripture's never got it wrong. Isaiah 9 is one of those, you know, powerful messianic prophetic chapters, okay? And of course, I'm going to go to chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son, son is given. So obviously this is going to this is talking about Jesus Christ, right? That God is going to give a son. Now if we only look at him, if we if we confine him to our thoughts, if we confine him to our ways, then we will say, okay, he's got to be either a father or he's got to be a son. 
and uh, those identities don't cross over. But look at what this says uh, unto us. A son is given. Okay, so we, he's definitely going to be a son. Nobody has a problem with Jesus being the son of God. They just have an issue with him being a father, the father. Oh, well, let's read. The government, that is the kingdom of God, shall be upon his shoulder. What that really means there is whenever he comes, he's going to be carrying with him. Upon his shoulder is, uh, is the description of a burden, somebody that is a burden bearer. The, the government, the kingdom, shall be carried upon his shoulder. And watch this. And his name, the son, his name shall be called Wonderful. Now we have no problem admitting that Jesus, the son, is wonderful. He, he's going to be called the counselor. We have no problem admitting that the son, Jesus, is called the counselor. He's going to be called the mighty God. Well, there's some folks might have some issue with that, but that's what Scripture says. We, those of us that know, we don't have any problem saying that Jesus, the Son, is the mighty God. And here's where folks are going to, I mean, you might drive off the road here if, if you disagree. I'm, I'm just, I feel sorry for you. He says his name is also going to be called, the Son, by the way, his name is going to be called the Everlasting Father. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought... See, here's where you start running into issues is whenever Scripture speaks and we listen to Scripture over tradition. Because tradition would tell us that the Father and the Son have got to be separate. But Isaiah 9 and 6 have told us that whenever the Son gets here, that Son is going to be called the Everlasting Father. Oh, my God. So Jesus, uh, and also the Prince of Peace, I know that, but the point that I'm making here is that He is the Father and He's the Son all at the same time. Now, I've got to have words from Jesus that prove that. And I also want to remind you of where we were last week. Last week we talked about as He introduced Himself, what some would say the God of the Old Testament, introduced Himself to Moses. And Moses said, Who will I tell the people has sent me? Uh, whenever the, when I go, they're going to ask, who has sent you? What do I tell them? Who are you? And he says, I am that I am. Okay. And like we covered at the end of last week's episode, I am that I am, or, or just the I am, became, this is synonymous with what the Jews would call the name of the God of the Old Testament. Uh, if there was ever a name that, uh, that even Trinitarians would attribute to the Father, uh, they, they would probably agree that, that He introduced Himself as I Am. Now, uh, again, what I covered in last week's episode, and if you haven't heard it, please go back and listen so I don't have to reteach all of this, but that, that uh, the I Am, uh, the name for, of God, or what became known as Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, as he introduced himself to, to Moses, Yahweh became so precious to the Jews. And I admire them for this. I, I love them for this. That the name of God, they wanted to make sure they did not violate that commandment. They didn't carry that name in vain. And so that name was very precious to them. And uh, they eventually got to where only the high priest would speak that name. And it was only on the Day of Atonement and it was only on special feast days that he, that he would actually read the name in the Holy Scriptures and say the name that is I Am or Yahweh. Now, 
what what eventually happened is they said, well, we're, I feel like it's becoming too common. We, we've said it so much. They said, let's scale it back and we're going to instead call him Lord. Okay, this is where we get the Hebrew word Adonai. Adonai just means our Lord or my Lord. Uh, that is the one who rules over me, my owner even, the, the Lord, my Lord, Adonai. And so what would happen is there was a replacement that occurred uh, when the Jews would read that text. Uh, they would read the Torah. They would read these ancient scriptures. And whenever they would get to that place, he said, Whom shall men say, or who, sorry, who, 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 well, they're going to ask, Who are you? Who, who has sent me to you, to them? And, and the Lord said, I am that I am. What they would say instead is, and, and Adonai said, Adonai. And the people would respond and say, The name of the Lord. They, because they did not want to mess it up. They didn't want, they didn't want to mishandle the name. And then, uh, we see the Babylonian captivity that happens later on in the Old Testament. And when that happened, they decided to stop saying the name altogether. They, Yahweh disappeared. That they, they only would say Adonai. By the time, this is where I was trying to get last time and didn't get here. If I'm not careful, I won't get here again. <laughs> uh, but by the time that we reached the New Testament, the Jews still would not utter the name Yahweh or I am. They would replace it still with the term Adonai. Okay? They, they were okay with saying Lord. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that as the Jews drift further and further away from God, they fall away from a name and they grab a hold of a title? I just, I just need to point that out. That as the Jews get further and further away from God, they drift further and further away from His name, and they drift towards a title, something that can remain vague, something that, something that uh, you know doesn't doesn't get specific, something that uh, something that does not uh, make a, that bold of a declaration. It's one thing for me to call Him Lord. It's a whole other thing for me to call Him Yahweh. It's one thing for me to say Adonai. Uh, and keep it vague. It's another thing for me to say, uh, for, for me to say, you know, that he's Yahweh, that he is the I am. Uh, what if I mishandle it? What if, what if it falls into the wrong hands and somebody, you know, persecutes us? Or what if that it's, it's, it's just very interesting that in their captivity, in their captivity, they lost the name and they gained a title. Now, whenever Jesus arrives and Jesus begins his uh, his teaching, his earthly ministry, uh, Jesus is one of the first ones to start throwing this name around again, I am. Okay? And what I want you to notice in Scripture, okay, is in the New Testament, there are, there are seven uh, times that Jesus uses the name of God from the Old Testament about Himself. Oh, you got to hear this that Jesus seven times, that's the number of completion, that Jesus speaks the name of God, Yahweh, I am that I am, about himself, okay? He does not say, uh, my father is. Jesus says, I am, okay? John chapter 6 and verse 35, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. Why? I am 
the bread of life. He was speaking Yahweh right there, and, and he was speaking it about himself. That's why he says, who comes to me? Uh, the second time, John chapter 8, verse 12, then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am, there it is again, Yahweh, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The third time, John 10 and verse 9, he says, I am the door. Whoo, my goodness. Now, every time that he's saying this, the people would have shuddered. They would have just flipped their lid. Oh my goodness, he's using, the, he's using Yahweh. He's using the Old Testament, the, the name of the Old Testament God. We hadn't heard that used in centuries. Nobody has said this name for a hundred years. And here is this man. This is why in the New Testament, the Pharisees didn't know what to do with him. They said, nobody speaks like this guy. Well, it wasn't just that he was smart. It was that he was claiming to be God, which is what got him put on the cross in the first place. He says in John 10 and 9, I am Yahweh. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Have you noticed a pattern here? I am the bread of life. He who comes to me he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, you see this, what, what Jesus is doing is he is, he is putting his, owner, his ownership down on the name of the Old Testament, I am. He says uh, in the fourth time in John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, that's, that's him, me, gives his life for the sheep. In John 11:25, Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. That is Yahweh. I am that I am. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Again, every time we're seeing this connection where he is declaring the name I am, Yahweh of the Old Testament about himself and to confirm it, he gives them some type of action that does not refer to the Father or as many would, many would say, this separate being or anything like that, but he's showing them, hey, that I am that you have been scared to talk about, that I am that you have been scared to worship, scared to approach, scared to identify by name, that I am is sitting right in front of you. That's why he's saying, it's he who comes to me. It is he who follows me. It is if anybody enters by me, it is he who believes in me. Though he may die, he shall live. The sixth time that it occurs is in John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He was saying that about himself. I am Yahweh. He didn't say Adonai. He didn't say, see, everything would have changed if he had said Adonai is the way, the truth, the life. Uh, he, he would what he would have been saying there is the Lord or what you know of as the Old Testament God is the way the truth and the life but he declares that about himself I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the Father except through me I am why because I am the Father oh well I thought you were the son well, we're, we're going to come back to that. Isaiah said he would be both the Father and the Son. And the, the seventh time he says it is in John 15 and verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father ooh, is the vine dresser. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Now, now, like I said, Jesus is, is declaring 
he is the God of the Old Testament. Okay? He, he says, he says uh, let me give you a couple more scriptures here. I, I hope you got a notepad. I hope you're jotting this down, highlighting it. You're going to need this, okay? Wait, I, I thought he was the son. Didn't Isaiah, didn't Isaiah say he, the son is going to be called the everlasting father? That they would be one and the same? Well, we've got to get Jesus declaring that. Okay, well, how about John 10? John 10 and 29 says, For my father has given them to me. He is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. And then he says, to clarify in verse 30, John 10 and 30, the Father and I are one. Boom. Oh. What about John 14? John 14, verses 6 through 9. I'm going to read this in the, in the NLT. I love how it is stated here. Uh, John 14, 6 through 9, Jesus told him, here it is. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I, I read that earlier, but I, I want you to keep going here. I am Yahweh. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Verse 7. If you had really known me, then you would know who my Father is. Now, there's somebody that would listen to that or read that, and if you try to cram God into your own terms, cram Him into human-only characteristics, you would say, okay, boom, right there. If you had known me, you would know who my Father is. That, that proves that Jesus is not the same as the Father. Let's keep reading Scripture rather than listening to tradition. Just keep reading the same little passage here. He says, from now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Whoa, what? You've seen the Father? This is why Philip gets confused. Verse 8, Philip said, Lord, well, show us the Father. And, and we will be satisfied. Do you, did you pick up on the fact that Philip said Lord there? Philip being a Jew, being someone who has, has been raised never using that name that Jesus just uttered when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, Philip just said, Adonai, Lord. Adonai, Lord, or uh, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Then Jesus replied, wait a second. Have I been with you all this time, Philip? And yet you still don't know who, he says, I am? Ooh. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? What Jesus is saying right there is, I am the Father. He said, whoa, I thought you were the Son. Philip said, Philip said, well, wait a second. I thought you were the son. If that's the case, then show us the father. Jesus was saying to Philip right there, when you've seen me, you've seen the father. Look, there's, there's nobody in their right mind that can read that and not realize that Jesus was, was saying to, to Philip and to all of us, I am the embodiment of that Old Testament God. I am the flesh and blood version of the same God of the Old Testament. Not somebody different, not somebody with a separate agenda, not somebody with a separate identity or somebody with a separate personality, a separate uh, uh, center of consciousness, a separate uh, being. I am exactly who the Old Testament said I would be, and that is the Son and the Everlasting Father. The Spirit that dwells within Jesus is the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, within Jesus was the balm of Gilead. Within Jesus was the kinsman redeemer. Within Jesus was the Alpha and the Omega. But, but why is it that we don't claim that the Alpha and the Omega and the, and the kinsman redeemer and the Lion of Judah, why don't we make these separate, uh, separate beings and, and say, well, it's, why are we stopping at three? If you're going to be Trinitarian, you might as well be, you know, say that, say, well, they're, then if the sun is a separate, a separate version of God, then, then I guess Alpha is, I guess Omega is, I guess the healer is, I guess uh, he who was is going to be one, he who is is going to be one, he who is to come is going to be one, the line of the tribe of Judah is going to be one, the, the root and the seed, uh, the, the root of Jesse, the offspring of David is going to be one. Why, why do we stop at three? He is all of these things. So who who is the one that drew the lines in the sand that said that that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are going to have to be three separate gods, but yet all of these others, we just attribute that typically to the God of the Old Testament. It's because you don't know who Jesus really was. The Bible and is. The Bible says in Colossians 2 and 9, for in him dwelleth all of the fullness of the Godhead bodily. What that scripture says is within the body of Jesus, within, and, and I say body on purpose because you might want to call him the son, and but that's what he referred to himself as the son of God. That is nothing more than the body, the embodiment of the God of the Old Testament. You might want to condense him down into how you can relate to him, but your perception of him is not going to limit him from who he really was. Now, now, next week, next week, we are going to cover part three, and I'm going to wrap up how the Lord transitions from the Old Testament to the New Testament, okay? And I'm going to cover this. This is what we're going to be talking about next time. The identity crisis of Trinitarian doctrine, okay? I'm not attacking anybody, but I will defend what Scripture says, not what tradition says, just because some old bald men in a room in 325 AD sat down and decided he was three does not mean that I am going to ignore what Scripture says and preach that he's three. He is one, he's always been one, and he always will be one. Next week we're going to talk about identity crisis in Trinitarian doctrine. There is a massive, massive identity crisis if you believe that there are three we we got to talk we got to talk more so be sure to tune in next week be looking for our new slot uh, that I talked about conquer the day that's going to begin within the next couple weeks reach out to us on social media Facebook Instagram I don't have a Twitter well I have one but I don't use it <laughs> be sure to share this with a bunch of people I love you guys see you next time we're out